Okay, take your Bible and turn back with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 1. And I know this is going to be confusing to anybody that listens to our uh, sermons as we upload them to sermon audio. Uh, the text is going to be exactly the same for this message. Don't think that I have lost my mind and duplicated and uploaded the same message. There's just so much that needs to be said about what Paul relates to us here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, that I, I felt compelled to spend a little time talking about love, because I know everybody in every religion, no matter the denomination, whether it's Baptist, Pentecost, Catholic, uh, Methodist, Presbyterian, name them all, they all talk about love. You know, I, we, you know, we, we, when, when we were involved in false religion, we had a song that we used to sing. We'll, they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Remember that? Now listen, don't, don't say, this preacher don't care anything about love. Nothing could be further from the truth. Huh? God's children, those who know themselves to be sinners by birth, by nature, by practice, and even by choice. Now, see, that's the thing. You, you don't accidentally fall into sin. You make a choice. But the thing is, those that are sinners know themselves to be sinners. They do, by the grace of God, seek to love God with all their heart, mind, soul, strength. They do. And they do indeed seek to love their neighbor as themselves, which includes not just their brothers and sisters in Christ, but all men and women without exception, seeking to meet and care for the needs of others as we have the means available to us to care for them. You don't have to twist their arm. You don't have to promise them something or reward. You don't have to threaten them with condemnation if they don't do it. I mean, that's one of the things that amazes me about how men and women by nature are so confused on this idea about Christian obedience. Obedience, put it like this. If you want to, if you want to talk about obedience, true obedience, always think of it in light of the terms. When Remember that woman that our Lord was at Philip's house? Remember that story? And he had been there in Philip's house, and that woman came in who was a great sinner, and everybody knew she was a great sinner, Philip and his cohorts included. And she came in as our Lord sat at the table with Philip, and she broke the alabaster box of ointment on his feet, began to weep and dry his feet with her hair. And remember, they were just so offended. You know, the big thought that came out of their mouth was that if he knew who she was, what she was, he wouldn't let her touch him. Yeah, just wouldn't. Well, our Lord says, Philip, I got something to say to you. He said, say on, Lord. And he told him the story. Remember what the story was? There was two men that owed a debt. One of them owed five, I think it was five pence or one pence. Sally, you'll always catch me. <laughs> one of them pences he owed. It was, but it, it, you, you look it up, it is minuscule what one of them owed, but it was still a debt. And the other one owed like 500 pence, which was a great amount. And it says when both could not pay, and that's all of us, isn't it? 
from the greatest whatever. And see, that's the thing. When we get into this thing, trying to, to uh, scale sin, whether, whether we're the greatest sinner or the least sinner, it, it really, there's no difference. You do realize that, right? One sin, one billion sins, it's still sin, and you're still a sinner. Right? And he said, frankly, because they had nothing to pay, he forgave them both. No merit in them. They didn't ask for forgiveness. They didn't weep for forgiveness. They didn't try to merit or earn for you. He just forgave them. And then he looked at Philip and he said, Philip, he said, which one of these will love the most? And Philip's response was, I suppose the one who was forgiven the most. And then he turned it around on him and he said, I've been in your house. You didn't give me a kiss. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't acknowledge my presence. And this woman who you think's a great sinner the whole time I've been here, what she's been doing, she's washed my feet. Right? She's broke a precious box of ointment over my head. And then he made this statement. Him that's forgiven much will love much. Do you know what you've been forgiven? Okay. There's no listen. If you're here this morning, I, I, know, I know some people take offense at this, but I, at this point in my life, 65 years of age, I have really got to the point I don't care what people think anymore. If you're here this morning and you're here thinking that if you're not here this morning, God's going to either break your car down or burn your house down or strike you with some kind of disease, or you're afraid you're going to go to hell, you know what? You're, you're here for the wrong reason. Your motive is wrong. God knows your heart. If, if God, an old preacher made one statement to me years ago that's always stuck, stuck with me because there's a, there's a tendency in me, and I mean, I do have a lot of obligation as your pastor to be here every Sunday. I mean, it would be, it'd be one thing if just I just... I just didn't show up. Ken was running behind this morning, and I know he's always here. Beat usually pulls up before I pull up. He wasn't here, and I thought something wrong. I thought he'd had a wreck. Usually he texts me if he's not coming. A lot of you do text me and let me know, hey, I'm not going to be there today. I'm going out of town. I've got a sickness in my family. And I, and I appreciate that. But I, I, I can't get over. I have a tendency when people neglect, their responsibility as those that have been born of God, purchased by the blood and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, to neglect the, the assembling of ourselves together, the tendency is to go critical, Kenny, isn't it? You begin to think, ah, I wonder what's wrong with them, especially miss two or three Sundays, four Sundays, five Sundays. If we was a, a old-style church, somebody would be on a, 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 you know, <laughs> we'd have you on the disciplinary committee list. We'd discipline you for it. That's, that's the wrong standard. It is. And I, I was telling this guy one time, it upsets me so much because, because to me it's important. I, and I hope it's important to you. This, this is our life. You do, I, I hope you realize that. 
Now, I know we all have lives, and we have families, and we have school, and we have work. We have obligations in this life. But ask yourself this morning, what's the most important thing to me? What means more to me than anything else? And the answer should be without any qualms, what? It should be the words of King David. Whom have I in heaven, or whom have I on earth that I desire beside thee? And whom have I in heaven but thee? Nobody in here, my wife back there, my kids, had nothing to do with redeeming my wretched soul. Nothing in this life will affect me when I come to the end of this life. You hear me? Doesn't make any difference if I'm dead broke or I got a billion dollars in the bank, which that'd be an impossible thing. It makes no difference. The only thing that is necessary for this sinner and any sinner is what? They must possess the righteousness of God found in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if they've got that, They've got everything. But I was, compl- basically I was complaining, well, you know, why aren't people here? Well, you know, I'm here because I got to be here. But I don't have to be here. I want to be here. I look for, my, my highlight of every week, you know where it is? It's right here on Sunday. Whether I feel bad or whether I feel like a million bucks, when I step here and I get to talk about this person who loved me and gave me himself for me, who redeemed me from my sin, who constantly reassures me that I'm his son, that I'm an adopted son of God, that he by his Holy Spirit will has promised me that he will present me to himself, holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. That's enough to bring me here. But I was complaining. I was talking about, you know, why aren't people, I think we was having a conference or something, and, you know, the, the attendance was down somewhat, and we had somebody come in to preach to us, and I'm like, why aren't people here? And he made this statement, and it stuck with me. And that's why I don't, I don't worry about who's here as much as the fact of what's preached why we are here. He said, people will always be where they want to be. If you want to be with God's people, you know where you're going to be. If you want to be, unless, unless, unless your health prevents it, or work takes you out of it, or something is more pressing. You got an ox in the ditch, you got to take care of it. You know, you do. And we all have situations that keep us out occasionally. But other than that, you ought to want to be with God's people. And I don't have to tell you that. You know that. I don't need to get up here and threaten you and tell you if you're not here next Sunday, you're probably going to hell. That's what I did out at Heiko. I'd go in there. Bart would put that tote board up. I'd look at that tote board. And depending on the number that went up on that tote board that he put up between Sunday Bible class or Sunday, Sunday school, what we called it back there, Sunday school and worship service, I'd look at those numbers. And I'd look at, the, look at the amount of money that was given and how many people was here and the it, it would change everything I was going to say to everybody that sat in front of me that Sunday. And somewhere in that sermon, I don't care what, and most of them was trapped, threw them all away when the Lord converted me. But most of what I said, at some point, I don't care what I was talking about, I was getting back to that thing about what you gave and how you came 
And I think the thing that was so ironic about it, I'd scream at the top of my lungs at people that were sitting there. <laughs> they were there. I was angry at the ones that weren't there. But it, I, I guess they'd go tell Brother Richard, said y'all are going to hell or something because Wednesday night. And they'd be back on Wednesday night. And it would hold for a couple of weeks. And we'd, numbers would go up. And then tote board would go up, it'd back down, same old cycle, beat them to death. I tell you, those of you that have been with me for 10, 12 years, Sally and them, been with me from the beginning. How many times in 36 years have I got up here and threatened anybody about church attendance? How many times in 36 years have I got up here and preached a message on tithing or even on giving? Should you give? Yes, you do. You should give. Without a doubt, you should give. Give hilariously, gloriously. Without worry and anxiety. If you got worry and anxiety, keep it. You hear me? And in 36 years, everybody supposed to be here has been here. And in 36 years, every dime that has gone into this gospel ministry has gone into this gospel ministry. Every bit of it. Without any threats or without any harassment. And I don't have to get up here every single solitary Sunday and go over that. Here's what I need to go over. Point out to you this person who saved you from your sins because who is forgiven much? If you've been forgiven much, you love much. Right? We love him. We do. Why? Because he first loved us. See, do you see the love of God in Christ? Do you see what it actually took to redeem you? That's the thing religion's not honest with sinners about. There was a price for redemption. It wasn't your repentance. It's not your dedication. It's not your recommitment. It's not even your faith. The price of redemption was what? The precious blood of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else was necessary and nothing more will do <laughs> with the blood of Christ. And that's what he stressed to these people. That's what these people heard. Didn't it? Blessed be the... He, he didn't start out threatening them. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly place. He has blessed us. He's not... God doesn't want to bless me. You know, people, you, you hear these health and wealth and prosperity, men and women get up in the pulpit and say, God wants to bless you. God ain't ever wanted to do anything. God does. <laughs> What's he done? Blessed us with all spiritual blessing. He ain't ble Read this book over. I encourage you. Read the book from cover to cover. Study the book from cover to cover. Find me one place in this book where God's promised you anything financially. One place. I know he tells us, let us having food and raiment, not even housing, food and raiment, there would be what? Content. 
our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, and the Son of Man, you know what? He doesn't have a place to lie his head. My wife ain't here, and she'd look at me. I don't know whether it's supposed to you lie or lay there. I've been working on that for 36 years. I always try. When I say it, I always think about, you know, she says chickens lay eggs. You know, and I, and I, but I still have a problem. I have a problem with sit, sit. Didn't listen to Miss Davis close enough when we were going to school, Kenny. But, but do you see how important it is that, that, that we understand what we possess? That's what drives us. I did, you let a man or woman truly come to know, understand, and be assured in their heart, soul, minds, that they are God's children. You don't have to drive them. Huh? We lead. We're led. Huh? As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. How does he lead us? He testifies to our spirit. The Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are sons. I can't convince you you're a son. Huh? He can take his word and convince you by his spirit. Our son, do you have any of you have kids? The ones that have children, your children ever disobedient? Well, of course. Does that make it right? Do you encourage them to be disobedient? Well, do you not think we're disobedient at times? Right? So he's 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 stressing to them, and he he's made it clear that God chose somebody. Christ redeemed those somebodies and the Holy Spirit in time in each successive generation through the preaching of the gospel regenerates and converts those the Father chose and those that the Christ the Son redeemed. Those are the ones who've been blessed with all spiritual blessings. And he started off beginning to give them instructions in verse 15 where we started out last week. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints. That's where we... That's where we got that last week, and that's where we're going to get this week. This is all we got, I promise you. This is all we're going to cover today because I want you to see this. I hope and I pray by God's grace and by his spirit, he can give us insight into his word. And the thing that I want you to notice, first of all, I made reference to it last week, but I'll mention it again and go a little deeper this morning. He heard, what did he hear, hear these people? These at Ephesus. Now, these are men and women who were Gentile believers, who had been raised in false religion and idolatry, who had been brought by God's grace to know Christ. Same Christ Paul knew. Loved the same Christ Paul loved. And yet he says at first to them that he's heard of their faith. What, their believing? Is that what he heard about? They believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. No, what did he, what did he hear? He, he had heard about... He had heard about what? Their love to Christ. But not only their love to Christ, but their dedication. Because notice what he says next. I heard of your love to the Lord Jesus Christ. And who else did they love? The faith in Christ that results in what? Your love unto how many? Unto the whole world. No. Should we love those that are of the world? I told you at the beginning we should. Right? 
Is not our Lord, aren't we, aren't we to follow our Lord's example? Aren't we? Does that make us more saved if we follow that example? If somebody walks up and smites me on the right cheek, I'm supposed to turn him the other cheek. Now, would I? I'm not real certain. Huh? I, 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 think, I think to me one of the most infuriating, enraging, gross things on the planet is for somebody to spit on you. They spat on our Lord Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He didn't murmur. Didn't speak a word. Yet somebody stump on our character a little bit or say something slight toward us, and what do we do? We become unhinged idiots is what we become. Those things should not be so. I'm just as guilty as everybody else. We ought to be loving, kind, and compassionate to all men. Listen, we should be understanding, especially toward believers. Because, folks, they're out of their minds. They might be the most intelligent people on the planet. They might can tell you, like Albert Einstein, E equals MC squared, and I never figured that out, and I don't care to. It don't mean nothing to me. It doesn't. I just know that it's something that they try to teach me in school that I thought, well, how's that going? I've used that. Kind of like I used that slide rule. I went to state championship in with a, I could I could build a house with a slide rule, and I couldn't do anything with a slide rule now other than maybe kill something with it. For you younger people that don't know what a slide rule is, Google it. <laughs> I could figure out anything with that thing. I, it, but but you, be as smart as you want to be. They could be intelligent, and they'd be kind, be compassionate, be be the most wonderful people on the planet. But if they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, folk, they're like that gathering de demoniac. They're hurting themselves and would hurt others. But Paul says here that he'd heard of their faith and he'd heard, secondly, of their love to the Lord Jesus Christ. And with that love that we're talking about here, he said he's heard of that love. It's a love that's unique to every single, it's unique, and it's present in every adopted son and daughter of the living God as opposed to those that he wrote about in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19, because he's heard of the love in these people, heard of the faith of these people. He wrote to those at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19, listen, if any man love not the Lord Jesus... Now, he's heard of the, their love of the Lord Jesus. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. What does that mean? Whatever this love is he's talking about that we're supposed to have to Christ, this love he's heard of and seen in these, these Ephesian believers, you don't have that love, the word anathema maranatha means let him be given over to divine destruction. But now, you think about this. He heard about this love, and I, I underlined it in my note, love unto not just some of the saints. How many of them? All of them. All of them. That's hard to do. You know, there's some people, even justified saints, there's some believers that are just hard to get along with. I might be one of them. Maybe you think that about me. I try not to be that way. 
And we, we all have personalities. And that, that's one of the things that I hope and pray you come to understand as you grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. When the Lord saves somebody and reveals himself to a man or a woman, he doesn't change their personality. You do realize that, right? Whatever, whatever kind of attitude you had before you were saved, it, it's not like a Christmas carol. Isn't that, the, isn't that the thing with Scrooge? You know, think of that. That's the way the world views a change in people. Isn't that the way they taught you? Then they beat you over the head with, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And they kept hammering me all along. You better be something different now and get new and more improved every single solitary day or you probably didn't know him to begin with. That is so contrary to the grace of God in Christ. It's a lie. Huh? He doesn't, he, he doesn't change our personality. I, I'm the same guy that I was 40 years ago. And if you're aloof, hard to talk to, don't expect if the Lord converts you, all of a sudden you're going to become the most likable, kind, compassionate person on the planet. Now, you're just not that way. It's a relationship with the Lord God. But here's the thing. We tolerate one another. That's a good country word. <laughs> Tolerable. We tolerate each other. And we overlook the, the, the differences. See, there, there's a lot of things that are different between me and everybody in, these, in this congregation. A lot of things different about it. We enjoy different things. You like different music probably than I do, though I like pretty much all music. <laughs> the entire scale, but we, you'd like different music than me. you probably like different sports than me. You know, a lot of things that you would watch on TV, I'd never watch on TV, not because I'm more holy than you. I just don't like it. Maybe you read a lot. My wife loves to read. I hate to read. I really do. Pam's like, why don't you read a book? The only I, I read this book and the book, the commentaries, but outside of that, it's hard for me to sit down and read a book. I just... Just, I got other things that are more important to me. But those things, there's nothing on this planet should separate us from one another. Not a thing. Believers, justified saints. And see, Paul had made it clear and made a clear distinction about the love the justified saint possesses, as well as the resulting love to all the brethren, which no, listen, which no unregenerate sinner possesses in any degree. Whatever this love that these Ephesian believers had, the most moral, sincere, dedicated, religious person on the planet, they don't have this love that Paul had heard about. Now, we know a lot of people. I do. And you do too. Whether they're my friends or whether they're family members who do indeed show themselves to be what the world would consider loving and kind and compassionate. I know men and women as well who would do anything for anybody. They'd give them in the 
colloquial language of our time, they'd give them the coat off their back. They would help people in need. If they, there's, there's people that, that you know that would pull over. And in our day and time, I'm sorry, unless I know you, I'm not pulling over on the side of the road and trying to help you. But they would do that. They, they, they think it's their quote-unquote Christian duty to pull over. And many of them get shot and killed or knived to death or they carjack when they pull over and help people. Yeah. But they'll do things to their peril. Is that the kind of love that he's heard about here? Is that what he's talking about? And like I told you last week, remember that example of that, that Armenian free will pastor that believes God loves everybody and preaches that Christ died for everybody. He hammers and, and, and stands steadfastly and dogmatically and uncompromisingly, on, built his whole theology on one verse, John 3.16. And he's, he's kind-hearted, he's well thought of, he's forgiven, he's one is, who tries his dead level best to avoid every known sin and tries his dead level best to do every possible good, try to keep every commandment, dotting every, every I and crossing every T when it comes to the law of God. Missionary-minded, and generation to those, generous to those in need. He loves the Bible. Loves his God. And he loves his God's people. He does. He loves his family, just like I love mine. He loves and cares for his friends, just like I do. He loves to pray. He loves to study but he doesn't have this love that flows from just one place. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hear that? Without faith. You've got to have faith. That's not believing. Faith, if you want, if you, you want to really know what that means in Hebrews chapter 11, without faith, it's without Christ is what we're talking about. That's what that faith is. It's not my belief in him. It's the object of my faith. Even our Lord Jesus Christ. And we left off with this. Get, went all that way to get to this. He says, because Paul wrote to those at Rome, and he said, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. First thing I want you to think about is this. The carnal mind. The natural mind is enmity. It's enmity against God. I, that has to be one of the most sobering statements made anywhere in the Word of God. The carnal mind is enmity against God. What do we mean by that? What did God mean when he moved Paul to write that? Well, here, here's the thing. Not only are we all by nature under sin, under its guilt, penalty, and condemnation. Not only, now think about this, the carnal mind is at enmity, is not at enmity, carnal mind is enmity. It's bitter hatred against God. Not only are there none righteous, no, not one. Not only are all of us, there's none that understands, that none that seeketh after God, they've all gone out of their way. There's no fear of God before any man or woman's eyes by nature. 
Not one of them. But here we're told in this verse, not only is that wrong with us, but what else do we do by nature? We hate this God. <laughs> we hate Him. And you know what that shows me? It shows me the absolute necessity of pure grace. Of salvation conditioned not on me, but on Christ alone. Because by nature, what did I do? I hate him. Yeah, Saul of Tarsus was looking for Jesus, wasn't he? Now, isn't that what he was headed down the road to Damascus for? He had a note in his pocket that says, I'm looking for Christ. No, he had a note in his pocket. What am I going to do? Anybody that I find this way, I'm bringing them to Jerusalem to put them on trial and ultimately, like Stephen, put them to death. Why? He hated God. And therefore, he hated anything that spoke of this God that was contrary to his God. And what did he call his God by name? Hmm? Who was Saul of Tarsus God? You ever thought about that? It wasn't Moloch, right? Who was it? <laughs> you can say it. Jehovah. That was his God. He thought. But it was a Jehovah of his imagination. It was not the it was not the Jehovah of the Scriptures. Not at all. You know, we, we, this shows us something else. I, I try, and I think all God, and you should try, we should try as much as possible to as clearly and as concisely and as simply and as dogmatically as we can to preach God's gospel, teach God's word in such a way that men can at least understand in their intellect. Now, I understood my intellect long before the Lord revealed himself. They can understand in their intellect God's absolute unconditional promise to save his people based on Christ alone. That's what we stress. That's what I stress in personal. When I have an opportunity to talk with somebody, I don't, I don't cower down to them. I'm unafraid of what, what they might think or do or say toward me. I don't care. I'm not going to let them think for one moment that something that they do or something that they're enabled to do, I'm going to make it clear to you this morning, if you think that something in you or done by you, even if you say it's God the Holy Spirit that did it through you, makes a difference between life and death, you don't know God who justifies the ungodly. Is that clear enough? I don't care how sincere you are. This has got nothing to do with sincerity. This has got nothing to do with devotion or dedication. This has got to do with the truth of God as it is in Christ Jesus. And he's not in the business of trying to save people who have led him. He turns a Saul of Tarsus into Apostle Paul. He turns Lydia and he opened her heart. You realize that? Why did he open her heart? Because by nature, what was she? What was her mind? What was Lydia's mind? Enmity against God. Yet God opened her heart. We have to tell, tell sinners 
in this condition, lost and undone, that the only thing they need to recommend them to God is this simple message. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. God imputed his people's sin. Not, he does not charge your sin to you. Not now, not ever. I'll even go a step further. Even those that you commit after you rest in Christ is the Lord your righteousness. And you say, well, there, I can do what I want to do. If that's what you think, you ain't heard one word I've said. You've been forgiven much, you will love much. That's what we tell sinners. And that everything else that you think would recommend you to God, what is it? It's fruit unto death. That's why Paul, Paul was clear. I determined not to know anything except among you except one thing. What? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the gospel. That's what Paul meant when he told him in Ephesus in Acts 20 he was about to, about to leave me. He said, I didn't hold back anything from you that was profitable to your souls. What was profitable to their souls? Determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We have to tell those in this lost condition that God commands them to seek salvation, to seek eternal life based on Christ's righteousness and that he forbids you from seeking to come any way other than through the blood and imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, telling them clearly and concisely and unapologetically and dogmatically that God justified one group of people, ungodly. And I'll tell you, that will fry their bacon right there. It will. Well, are you saying I'm ungodly? If you've been saved by Christ, you're ungodly. Because he don't save good people. They lied to you in Sunday school and vacation Bible school when they told us all bad people go to hell and good people go to heaven. No, people who possess the righteousness of God go to heaven. Good people go to hell right along with them bad people that don't possess that righteousness telling you religion is dishonest you say how dare you say that I can say that because I was part of that dishonest group I stood in a pulpit and spewed forth that poison for many years until he delivered me from it and I tell you as long as I'm living and breathing I will never speak it again I will not not from my friends, not from my family, not for your friends or your family. He says they're not subject to the law of God. The carnal mind is not subject to the law of God. These who don't have this love that he's heard of and this faith that he's heard of, they, they, they're not, their minds aren't subject to the law of God. Here's a great question. Why is it that nobody seeks the Lord? Why is it that nobody understands the way of salvation by nature? Why is that? Well, God tells us by nature all men hate him, and all men by nature they have no desire to know him, and they certainly have no desire to hear about free grace. 
Why do men by nature hate the Lord, hate God? God tells us it's because they're not subject to the law of God. Their mind's not subject to the law of God. And you know me and words, I got to looking up words this morning because I was going back through my notes. And I looked at that word subject and I looked it up and the meaning of it is very interesting. He says the, the carnal mind is enmity against, enmity against God, not subject to the law of God. That word subject, it means to arrange under or to subordinate. Now think about that, to arrange under or subordinate. And when I thought about that, the first verse that popped into my mind was Philippians chapter 2. Our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was equal with God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. That's subordination, right? To subordinate you. But then I looked a little deeper. According to Strong, now listen to this. This word that's translated sub subject, it's a Greek military term. I, I think this is pretty good. It's a Greek military term. And it means to arrange troop divisions in a military fashion under the command of one supreme leader. In a non-military use, it was a voluntary attitude of giving in or cooperating or assuming responsibility or carrying a burden. And he said, my mind, your mind by nature can't take that position to the law. You know why? Because we reality, even though we think we can, we can't keep the law. All we can do is break it. That's it. And Paul makes it clear that no sinner's mind by nature can be arranged or subordinated or put under the, the God's holy law. Now, that doesn't mean that, that men by nature don't try to keep the God's law, because they do. doesn't mean that men can't try to avoid sin, because they do. What men define as sin, I guarantee you, lost people, they, most of them won't lie, they won't steal, they won't cheat. They won't cheat on their wives. They're, 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 they're good to people. Doesn't mean that those who hate God are, are never moral or religious. I guarantee all I gotta do is drive around and look at all the people in church. When we used to have a phone book one time, I sat down. I, that shows you I got way too much time. I sat down, and when we used to have a yellow page, and I looked in Ruston, in the Ruston area. There is over 120 churches. That's in Ruston, over 120 churches. That's a lot of churches. Now, let, let's rephrase a lot of religious groups. Doesn't mean that they can't be religious. And it, listen, it doesn't even refer to the fact that none can keep God's law perfectly because when you think about it, even the best of God's saints, we're not subjected to the law in that sense. Which, which one of don't raise your hand. Which one of us here would raise your, raise your hand and say, well, I've done my best this week keeping the law. Number one, you, the, your statement is absolutely scripturally wrong because it doesn't say you've done your best. It doesn't ask for you to do your best. What does it ask you to do? Or not what does it ask you to do? What does it command you to do? Be ye what? Perfect. You got there? Well, keep trying, and I'll tell you what you're going to find out in the end. 
You're going to find out if God ever teaches, there's none righteous, no, not one. That's the source of true humility among believers is realizing who and what we are. Remembering the hole of the pit from which you were digged. Remember where you came from. Remember what you are. So what does it mean? Well, we know that a justified sinner is justified saints. We're subject to the law of God. And we no longer hate the true and living God, do we? we? We know that all those who are yet in a state of nature, unregenerate and unconverted, they don't see the first and foremost purpose of the law. What did God give the law for? Did he give it for us to keep it to get life? No, what did he do? According to what Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, it was the schoolmaster to do what? To drive us away from ourselves to where? Christ, right? I thought about this when I was out on the walking trail this week. Isn't it amazing? I, I think I stole this from William Gadsby, but it just popped in my mind, and I couldn't get it out of my mind. In religion today, they could say, come to Christ and he'll justify you. Even, even Calvinist Reformed people say, come to Christ, accept him as your personal Lord and Savior, and he'll justify you. And then they turn right back around and they put people, they'll justify you from the works of the law. Then they turn right around. In order to get you sanctified, what do they put you right back under? So the law can't justify you, but the same law that can't justify you, they think it can make you holy. Now explain that kind of rationale to me. It's not good enough to justify us, but yet it's good enough to make us holy if we'll, we'll give our best shot at it. I, I, that, look, I, 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 by God's grace, I love his law. You hear me? I do. And I thank God he's not holding me accountable for that law. Because I tell you what, that's the thing the Lord teaches you as a child of God. Once you've broken the law, huh? once you've broken it, you can never repair it. No amount of future obedience can make amends for just one failure. And if you break the law, according to the book of James, you are a transgressor. You break the law in one point, just one. You're guilty of how many of them? I'm telling you, they're not telling them that out there today. I'll try. Give it your best shot. I'm telling you, flee from the wrath to come. Flee to Christ. Rest in a righteousness in which there can be found no flaw by God. Because the best you can do by way of obedience, it's shot full of hoes. Looks like Swiss cheese and the cartoons we used to watch when I was growing up as a child. This righteousness is flawless because my hands ain't going to touch it ever. So to be subject to the law of God is to actually experience the first and foremost purpose of the law, which drives us to Christ as sinners, causing us by his grace to rest in Christ's righteousness alone. To be subject to the law of God is like the Apostle Paul to be slain by the law. Go read Romans chapter 7, where he said, Before I, thought I, was, before, before I was saved, I thought I was alive. But then the law came, sin revived, and what happened? 
that which I thought was life to me, what did it become to Paul? It was death. But see, that's the thing. We got to die to self to look to Christ. Huh? He got, he got to kill it. The flesh, we, we went, went over it this last Wednesday night in our Wednesday night Zoom Bible study. Our Lord said this, the flesh profiteth nothing. That verse just runs back and forth through my mind. And I, I, I really believe it. I know Paul said, this man who we're reading his words here, he said, I'm going to tell you what, I guarantee you if we, we knew Paul, if we had been able to see him and walk with him and talk with him, we would probably be in awe of what he was like as a child of God compared to ourselves. Because that's what we do. We compare ourselves with ourselves. And Paul, who wrote this, said we're unwise in doing that. But we would compare ourselves to him and say, well, we pale in comparison to this man. But this man who had character and conduct that was spotless without blemish to the world, he said, I know that in my flesh dwells no good thing. The will's pleasant with me, but how to perform it, I don't find it. Good I want to do, I don't do, and evil I don't want to do. That's exactly what I find myself doing. And I think, Paul, I'd, the, 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 the inquisitive side of me wants to be able to ask Paul, what was it that you didn't want to do? And what was it that you wanted to do? But he said, the good I want to do, I don't do it. And the evil I don't want to do. And then he cried out, this man who knew the Lord indeed. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me? And this is what he thought about this thing he was walking from the body of this death. I thank my God through Christ Jesus, my Lord. That, see, that's what it all comes back to. Has Christ delivered you from that body of sin and death? Has he? Has he set you free? Is he, he's your only hope? And see, that, that's the thing. We'll quit with this. By nature, men and women hate the God who tells them plainly that no matter what their ancestry, the Jews got upset about that. No matter what their personality or profession or reputation among men, if they don't have a righteousness that satisfies every single solitary demand of God's law and justice, a righteousness that glorifies and honors God and exalts Christ and excludes all boasting in sinners, if they don't possess such a righteousness, you know what? Their own persons are condemned and their whole tenor of life, they, listen, their, their whole tenor of life is evil and wicked idolatry. Hmm? I think I'll quit with that. I, yeah, I, men by nature hate the light. They don't want to hear about this light. And they hate people who tell them about the light. We'll come back. We'll pick up verse 16 next week. You're dismissed the worst part.